Hello, friends. Come on in. I want to begin by thanking you. Our family members, our co-workers, our lovely listeners, our deckhands, our friends. The posting of this episode marks the 20th of the podcast. And we also reached a milestone of 3,000 listens over several platforms with an established audience of 70 people that has stayed solid for weeks. If you'll recall from a previous Notes of the Narrator episode, I cannot count. (laughs) However, those seem like very large numbers, and I feel like we should celebrate. Evan and Patrick and I put our heads together and decided that we were going to launch a Kofi to help support the podcast further. One of the secret rules in any game is reality supersedes fantasy, which in layman's terms, real life comes before game. And sometimes real life can be difficult. So much so that it challenges making a podcast. There are many things to come on our horizon and every little bit helps. And it can come in many forms, be it listening or re-binging the series when it pleases you, sharing the posts we make on our socials, posting a review if the platform you listen through allows reviews, or perhaps buying us around through our Kofi page However you wish to support us, we appreciate it. And while I would be doing this regardless, it really means the world to us. To know that we have a fleet at our backs. So thank you. Truly, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts. And I speak for Patrick and Evan as well. Thank you. And before I get too overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude, let's continue the story. If memory serves me correctly... We were just about to delve into the ruins. And I promise there is no cliffhanger at the end of this episode. That I will spoil for you. (laughs) Alright. Article 14. The Heart of Makaro. Now. As you guys get closer and closer, it's old stairs, old stone steps that are wet. It's made of feldspar stone, so it's flaking as you step. Mm. Oh. Not only is it very slippery, but it's very sharp. And you're going down and down and down. Elliot is just talking nonstop as he's going. Oh, watch it, watch, watch the stones, watch the stones. They tend to shred a lot, and there's a lot of water damage here, and so just watch your step. Be careful, okay? It's starting to get darker down here. And then your boots actually step into water up to your ankle. This is normal. It's okay. And then if we just keep squinting and like looking at his papers as close as he can, because it's dark down here. Does anybody have a light? Anything? A torch? Something? Looking through all of my stuff to see if there's anything that I can do to create light, and I cannot. Yes, you do. You're heroes. You have whatever you need at any point in time. Oh, yeah. Do you light the torch? And as soon as you do that, oh, that helps a lot. So we're going to walk a couple of paces that way, and then I think we're going to turn left. Definitely left. Yes, left. And we talked about walking and talking, and you guys are heading into the first chamber. Now, I can give you guys a hero point, and you can tell me what the traps are, or I can tell you what the traps are. I want to tell you what the traps are. Okay, but I'm giving you this hero point, so it can't just be cheap. It's got to be dangerous. I have ideas. 
The unfortunate part is they're all coming from video games, and I don't want to seem like a cheap ripoff. I'm ripping off everything from Indiana Jones right now, so go right the fuck ahead. All right. The trap that I had in mind is that there is a pattern on the floor, and the floor of the cavern is separated into stepping stone separations, little blocks, and you have to correctly walk the pattern, and every misstep that you make ports open in the walls and let out bursts of water. And the water level in the room rises every misstep you make. And the more missteps you make, the harder it is to see the pattern. Okay. Are you asking for traps for this specific room? For this specific room, yes. Oh boy, Pat, I'm sorry. Oh no, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, what's the second trap? Prepare to write down that as you go through, if you miss one of the correct tiles on the floor, the walls start caving in. Oh, Evan, no. And the more you miss, the faster they cave in, trash compactor style. Ah, oh, which then just rises the water level because there's less... Fog. Oh, that's so good. I love that. It's cool. Yep. I was going to do the fire floor, but this is better. I had a different idea, but this is way more painful. This is great. I love it. Now, we have established that there is a trap in the room. We have established how to go through the trap. We have established what happens when the trap is activated. It is one raise from each of you to navigate the trap or go through it or successfully avoid it. You can choose not to do it. Every trap you don't avoid, I get a danger point. What happens when we run out of raises? Are we just not able to avoid traps anymore and we just have to brute force it? Or is that the next round of the dramatic sequence? It will work into a next round of a dramatic sequence or an action sequence, depending on how things go. Got you. Elliot is describing what he's seeing on the floor and then he looks around the room. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the water room. Oh, I read about this. And he starts spewing all of the knowledge and there is writing on the walls in a weird fashion. And as Elliot is speaking, he's actually pointing and doing what you would do as if you're like reading a line, except instead of going from left to right, he's going down and up and then over to the right and then down and then up. Wayland is desperately trying to follow him and is getting a little dizzy. <laughs> it is a tough read. It's almost like reading in Japanese, but it's a zigzag. It's over to the left, up, over to the left, down, over to the left, up, over to the left, down. One of those Mayan patterns. So as he is reading it off and he's explaining it to you guys in the most layman terms, he stops moving. Oh, right. So there's a pattern that you have to walk the floor. And I'm very sure that it's left then three steps, then right, then four steps, then quarter turn, forward. Makes perfect sense. Yep. Wayland, after you. One second, Elliot. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Look, I fucking hate this. Figured I would check. Oh, fuck, Wayland, I fucking hate this. I just, mm, I hate it already. Regardless. Let's just fucking go, all right? Before I... I'm proud of you for being here. I'm proud of you. Shh, don't fucking patronize me. That was true. All right. <sighs> Elliot, you first, me first. I'll go first. Let's do this thing. 
and he does the sequence. And as he does, he's dancing a little bit, and he is very nimble. But he fucks it up. A piece of paper sleeves out from one of his journals, and he's like, ah, damn it, and grabs it. And we see the stone sink in, and we hear water gurgle from behind both of you. And one of the stones crumbles away, and there's a jet of water that's hitting Jesse in the back of the head. Okay. Go. It's going to be one of those days. Go. I will spend a raise to get through this. Jesse will also spend a raise. He carefully navigates his way through, breathing very steadily, hating every moment of this. <laughs> Jesse? Yeah? I would like to offer you a hero point. Oh, for what? I have so many. Wayland had checked in on you, and you hate every minute of this, and you've been hit in the back of head with a jet of water, which is steadily just filling this smallish room, and Elliot is taking this not seriously enough. Mm-hmm. How's your temper? How are you feeling? His heart rate's beating pretty steadily. He's nervous. Okay. Is a certain someone maybe influencing you a little bit? That's why I'm holding up this imaginary hero point. Not yet. Okay. You get through the first room. We go on to the second room. Legend of the Hidden Temple, my ass. Now, I would like it if you guys could establish to me what this room looks like. Just one thing in this room that is different than everything that you've seen. Fun fact, you can also establish where the villains are. They are four inches in front of us. No. There are a heavy amount of vines hanging down from the ceiling. Okay. We love that. Additionally, there's a lot of creepy crawlies up in these vines and all around them. Because he's dank. Some stuff swimming around the waters or some stuff flying around. Mm -hmm. Mm. Little gnats and... Mm -mm. Speaking of the creepy crawlies, I'm like getting itchy. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting the itches. I'm getting the creepy crawlies. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Ugh. Every so often, a vine will just kind of brush your shoulder. It's slick and cold. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, don't. And you swear you can hear whispers. But you probably can, because I would say that we are gaining on them. Not from them. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Patrick, wanna establish something? Yeah. If I'm establishing where the villains are, can I establish that they are maybe I don't want them to hear us either. And that's gonna be difficult. Evan, what do you think? Maybe like two rooms ahead? Because we didn't come in too far afterwards. And they had to get through that first trap cleanly with more people than we did for that trap to have still been intact. I would say they're at the end of this room going into the next. Oh. Oh, we're like right behind them? I mean, it was pretty close, right? Maybe like another room, two rooms in front? Uh, Yeah, that's what I was saying. You could see a lantern light. You can see the fairy fire light down a passage. Yeah. Yep. Oh, oh, wait, that's them up there, right? (laughs) Elliot. Elliot, I need you to do me a big favor, okay? Mm-hmm. Be more present. Don't be moving around so willy-nilly in here. Hi? Yep. Okay. Good. I hate this place. All right. What does the ground look like? Is it just wet? The ground is vines. Uh, 
Oh. Thick, thick vines, tree branches, and something underneath that you cannot see. You assume it's water. Jesse puts his hand into his pocket and looks at Elliot and looks at Wayland and pulls out the Heart of Matters. Wayland just nods slowly. Elliot is pushing his glasses up on the bridge of his nose as he's looking around for anything to catch his attention other than nature. He's going to keep it a little discreet from him. Elliot, Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about these vines? These are really interesting. Are they native to the region or are they local to this specific area? The camera's doing that thing where it's like Waylon on one side and Elliot on the other and they're talking to each other, but it's blurred on them, but focusing in on Jesse. Jesse pulls a stone up. You don't see vines. You don't see tree trunks. You see snakes. There is a large reptilian body spanning the entire expanse from where you are to where Mad Maeve had left. And it is writhing with breath. A large mosquito the size of your face is flying by. And then all of a sudden, through the heart of matters, you see this reptilian jaw just open, snap, and slowly pull back. And as you're looking through, you notice that only about maybe 10% of this room is actual flora. The rest of them are alive. How about the ceiling? Oh! <laughs> no. Oh, God. Wayland, as you're distracting Elliot, and Elliot is going on and on about these vines and how they've been here for thousands of years and this, that, and the other thing, blah, 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 blah. Your eagle eyes, your notice has seen something in the vines that really shouldn't be there, and it is the skull of a very large Makara. Just kind of hanging there. Bye, Ben. And as you're paying a little bit more attention, you're looking up and you're seeing more skeletons of what were once Makara, very large Makara, just hanging about. What are these fine things above us? Not vines. It's a nest of snakes. It's just snakes. So, meanwhile, Elliot's droning on and on and on, and he doesn't even notice that Wayland is just getting progressively more horrified. Doesn't notice at all. Nope. Right. Jesse puts the heart of matters back into his pocket and comes around to Elliot's side, wraps an arm around his other side, oh. pulls him in close. Yep. And he just kind of brushes his hand out towards the expanse of the cave, this room, and just says. Look again. What do you mean, look again? I'm 98% sure that these are just mangrove vines and, and that there are things here that, yeah. Well, I'm 100% sure that you're wrong, Elliot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to point to the first skull. Oh, that's interesting. How did that get there? And I'm going to continue along all of the skeletons that are embedded and entwined. Oh. Everywhere. Uh-oh. Oh, they mentioned this. Oh, they mentioned this. Hold on. I have I have something for this. And he, okay. Rifling through his pack and there are more papers. He holds out the thing and he's like, ah, I think I think it's like, ah, here it is. Here it is. It's, it's, they, hold on, hold on, hold on. They call it, they call it Guo Kulev, which, which means great snake in, in Haraguan. And it's supposedly supposed to wrap around this entire temple. And he shows a picture, a very crude drawing of, of this gigantic snake that seems to be wrapped around this entire temple. Yeah. And supposedly 
and he starts walking as he's talking. Wait, wait, wait. Just remember what we said about being present. Right. Being present, of course. Don't die, please. I had no intention of dying. I was I was I was walking and talking like you said. Don't we have to catch up to those people? We do. But we're not going to be able to catch up to them if we get caught by a giant snake. Which is what this entire room is, Elliot. Well, I, snakes are actually very docile uh, if you just don't hurt them. I'm, I'm pretty sure we could just walk across. How do you walk across? You're sure? I'm 98% sure. I don't like the 2% that's left out there. What's the 2%? Please tell me about the 2%. I'm really interested about the 2%, Elliot. Oh. is the chaos theory. Oh, fuck. Which is? Oh, well, so let me explain. And as he's explaining, a a snake drops on his shoulder. Oh, that's cold. Oh, boy. And it slithers and lands on the stone and coils and starts to tilt its head up and look at you. It opens its jaw like it normally would, but there's a split down the middle, full predator jaw, and then begins to hiss. And then other snakes around you begin to hiss. And then the whole room is hiss. Okay. We need to go. We should go. Jesse is already moving. Let's go. Spending a raise to avoid the snake trap? Yeah. Yes, please. Oh, I hate it. Oh, yeah. As the big thickums, as the big snake boy underneath, is is moving, uh, kind of like those, like those logging competitions. Jesse's gonna gonna move along with that. Not unlike the movements of a ship. Elliot's running after you guys, and then Wayland's running. We just see the camera pans out, and we see the snake body just start to turn and coil as you guys are running across. Uh, there are snakes dropping down from the ceiling, and immediately you're like getting them off your shoulders, and they. Flash below you down in some water, which is some ways down there, and you get across right as the big giant snake is rearing its head and opening its jaw and then going to strike. And Wayland, your heel just turns the corner, and we see the snake face smash into the stone and it shakes its big giant head and slithers back into the chamber. That was fun. Any more snake rooms? It's not that it says, no. Jesse walks over to Wayland and pulls a snake off of his shoulder and just tosses it back into the room. Ah. Yeah, good now. Physically, at least. I'm gonna be feeling that writing for weeks. Hey, at least it's not Kips. Wailing covers his mouth to stifle the laughter. Appreciate Captain Kipno. Could be worse. It could be worse. There is a crossroad. There are two tunnels. One leads left, one leads right. And Elliot comes up to it. All right, let's see. Uh, this, this is a symbol I've seen before, and he's rifling through his notebook. You do not see the lantern light. There is no clear sign that they have gone down to either passageway. Jesse fumbles the Heart of Matters out again and kind of pokes between both of them. You just see the stones. There is really nothing magical here to be revealed. He pockets it. Elliot, what does your journal have? Something better than 98%? Well, 
could go left, and that could lead us deeper into the chasm. Which is what we want. Well, I guess the right also leads to more chasm. So it, it's really, which way do you guys want to go? Is there any way that we can tell where your thieves have gone? Jesse looks down the floor to see if there's any mud, any footprints left behind. It's pretty muddy, regardless. Moss has just been kind of slowly leaching off of the stones above and making it a little bit difficult to discern whether it's actually a footprint or if it's just a slime, sludge, mossy patch. One of you can spend a raise to establish which way they went. I've got one left because I spent the raise on the Makara. On the Makara at the entrance. And Elliot. All right. Yep. I've got two, so I'll spend one. He's going to really look at those tracks. Mm-hmm. Upon closer inspection, Jesse, as you're kind of leaning up against the wall and trying to keep yourself as hidden as possible, because God knows that room was terrifying, and who the fuck knows what's above you right now, and God, everything's awful. Luciana, who has been hiding in your pocket this whole time, peeks out, and you hear her twitter. And she is pointing her beak at somewhere. Where is she pointing? She is pointing at a black feather. Good eye, Lucy. She twitters happily and then proceeds to immediately burrow herself back into your pocket. Jesse goes over, grabs the feather, and shows it to Wayland. This way. And he sticks it in his hat. It does have a red tip on it. Yes, sick. And as you go in, you are in a vast chamber. Now... There is water. In the center is this circular platform. On this circular platform is a podium. And on that podium is a large chunk of red stone, gleaming with a little beam of sunlight that perfectly just touches that stone. And there is a single line passage, a cobblestone wide leading to this plinth. And Mad Maeve and the other buccaneers are on the opposite side where there is another line of cobblestones leading to this center. Elliot is looking at all this and goes, oh God, oh God, oh God, okay. Okay, this is it. This is, this is it. Guys, this, this, this is it, okay? And you cannot, cannot... As he's trying to explain, one of the buccaneers walks onto the stones, slips, falls into the water, and instantly boils. It ate through that person in less than 30 seconds. There's nothing left. There's just the steam of the reaction. That's not water. Nope. The floor is lava. It's more like a chemical reaction of mercury and uh, some other acid that I, I can't really discern right now. Right. Can I see Mad Maeve's reaction to this person boiling alive? The buccaneers are shocked. The dude with the parrot looks not disgusted, not shocked, but can almost see the gears working in his head a little bit. And Mad Maeve watching with intent, grinning like a fucking Cheshire cat until the last fingertip disappears and then she leans up and looks across and sees you 
Last one to the stone takes a dip in the pool. <laughs> As she's laughing, mm-hmm. I'm going to do something bold. Okay, you got one raise. I'm going to spend that raise, and I'm also going to spend a hero point. Okay. Perfect balance. Oh, shit. And I am going to steal myself using my resolve. Yep. Jesse? Yeah. Give me a moment. And I'm going to tightrope across. At the same time, Mad Mave is. Now the camera moves away and we see this breakneck speed of two people running pretty much neck and neck towards the center. Who's closest? I am going to spend a danger point and say that they're both neck and neck. Okay. You can spend a hero point to match me. Okay, okay, okay. I'll spend the hero point to gain a lead on Maeve. I'm going to spend a danger point. Now you're neck and neck again. Okay. So, as the camera is panning back, we see Mad Maeve and Wayland break neck speed, start to run. As they're running, their feet are touching a cobblestone, and the cobblestone sinks into the knot water. Both of you reach at the same time, and you both touch it at the same exact moment. First the red ghost, and now the unseelie. Who are you really working for, Audra? What's the end game? There's a second of processing time between whatever Mad Maeve is and whatever Audra was, and you see it. Her eyes shine that brilliant emerald green, and you hear her say, True freedom. And then she pries the stone off the plinth. The second that the stone gets removed, the plinth collapses. The whole platform begins to shake, and she's holding it. Let go. Not this time, Maeve. Jesse. If you would like to spend a raise to establish something, now would be the perfect time. Luciana flies out of Jesse's pocket and in Maeve's face, poking at her face, getting at her eyes, and going to town. Wayland, you see her. You know what she looks like. The second that she flies out, Mad Maeve catches it a second too late, and she gets poked right in the left eye. And it's a deep poke. Mad Maeve screeches and lets go of the stone and goes to swat and obviously misses because Luciana's way too fucking fast and dart back across the way towards Jesse. She's hovering above the cobblestones that are still there, showing you the way. Yep, and I am going to follow Luciana all the way. Elliot is freaking out. We gotta go. We gotta go. This whole place is gonna come down. That was a booby trap, and I knew it, and I should have told you before you got over there, but it happened so fast that I didn't really have time. Less talking, more walking. Let's go. Jesse's the last one to go. Mad Maeve is clawing at the side of her face, and there is just black icor tearing away at the skin, and you can see what Wayland had seen before, that dark, nasty-looking flesh, and she finally looks up, and her eye is bleeding, and she stares directly at Jesse. Jesse, ox eyes. <laughs> Wait a minute. I know you. You're the last pirate we branded together. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes, yes, how could I forget? <laughs> Samuel was the one that branded you. I was there. 
You don't remember me? Well, I did look a little different back then. <laughs> I'm spending a danger point. And as the stones are falling beneath her feet, she is actually standing just above the water. Oh, wow. She starts to walk across it very slowly, rubbing her ruined eye and smiling and laughing. Ah, yes, the white rose, was it? La Rosa Blanca? <laughs> I know who you are. You don't know who I am. We both want the same thing. We both want revenge on a certain someone. What are you talking about? Oh, don't play dumb! <laughs> we don't have time for that, dear. We both want Samuel Flint. I'm holding up a hero point for Jesse. How's your hand feeling right now? Oh, it's confused and twitchy. Mm. How are you feeling right now? Confused and twitchy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Jesse's paralyzed in both fear and curiosity. She walks up pretty much an arm's length away from you as the plinth and everything is going. And you can see the buccaneers just very briefly, like the camera sees the blurred effect of them going down the passage that they went and it returns back Mad Maeve's face. She stares at you right in the eyes. You're just like me, friend. He took something precious from you, just like he took it from me, and you want it back. Chessie is holding onto his wrist. How so? Ask me nicely and I might tell you where he is. Summer Flint is dead. Oh, you sweet, stupid summer child. He's as dead as your mother. How far away is she? She's an arm's length away. You would have to step forward to get to her. Great. Jesse takes one step forward and grabs her neck. As he takes a step, I'm going to spend a hero point and use Gift of the East Wind. And there's an updraft that keeps him just above the boiling liquid. She actually leans her head up and lets you. You grab her neck. And he drags her out and over to the stone and shoves her against the stone wall. The stone cracks with the force. There's no expelling of breath. There's no visible reaction of pain. She just smiles at you with that Cheshire grin. Don't you lie to me. Haven't you figured it out yet? I'm Faye. I can't lie. He slams her back into the wall. She's still smiling at you. Slams her up against the wall again. Why are you mad? As you're slamming, water is just coming through the cracks. But I'm sure you don't notice. Because sanity is a cage. A manipulation. You can easily be swayed to think certain ways, but in madness, you're free. You're no one's puppet, and I have no strings on me. <laughs> and she grabs your hand and peels it away with the same grip and force and holds it and smiles. And since we're not really getting anywhere with your master calling the shots, you may summon me once if you say my name thrice, and a glass of whiskey is my only price. 
I'm spending a danger point. And she vanishes. Waylon, you finally notice that Luciana is angrily twittering and and Jesse is not behind you. Jesse! You hear Waylon's voice echo through the chambers. He snaps back out of it and starts running out. Do you spend a raise to get out? Yeah. That wall had no structural integrity anymore, and it just collapses. All of the water falls into the boiling concoction and proceeds to bring that concoction behind you. The camera faces our heroes as they bolt down the crumbling corridors of the ruins, the deadly silver waters flowing like a stampede of Makara after them. As Luciana darts into a passage to the left, it prompts Jesse to grab Wayland, who grabs Elliot. We fast cut outside, watching a calm jungle scene. A flash of white streaks out of the ground, followed by our captain, our master at arms, and a screaming scholar, who all land on a high rock. Silver, sizzling water erupts like a geyser behind them, and then sluices slowly back from whence it came, leaving a streak of dead grass in its wake. Luciana lands on Jesse's hat, clearly out of breath, as are all of them, but otherwise unharmed. <sighs> Wayland looks down at the heart of Makaro in his hands, grasps it tight to his chest. It's warm, like a stone that has been out in the sun. What is this thing? Oh, that's... Uh... Elliot shakily pushes his glasses back up the bridge of his nose. That's the heart of the Makaro. Right? That's um, the Atabaean's largest ruby. And? And what? It's a ruby. It's, it's, it's a ruby the size of your friggin' chest. I'm gonna hold it up to the sunlight real quick. It gleams. <sighs> As you guys are sitting there and gathering your breath, Elliot is rifling through his papers and making sure that everything is there. Sorry about the ruins, Elliot. <sighs> You know, it's still standing. There's that. There's that. It's just, you know, a little... A little acid never hurt anybody, right? It did specifically nothing but that. Well, you have a real way of making things, like, a lot darker than they should be. <sighs> now, you're at the back of the ruins. The jungle is extremely dense back here. So dense that it's almost like nightfall. But when you went in... It was daytime, and Elliot looks up. This isn't marked. I mean, we had to take a, an escape route and make sure that we got out okay, but these are different. And as you both look up and see what Elliot is looking at in the distance, there are these large carved arches. They're ginormous, and they look like stone that has just been carved and is jutting out from the ground. Hmm. That's odd. This is not where we were at all. Nope. Not where you were at all. And it's nighttime now? That's how dark it is back here. Where? Is there anything in your notes about this? No, not, not really. There's something about carry our fire and we are revealed, but I, I don't know what that means. I'm going to go up to the arches. Are there any writing on them that I can recognize? There are some strange carvings, some odd-looking runes, and they are runes, like Scandinavian runes. Gotcha. Nothing that I would be able to read, though. 
but I noticed that it's different than the temple. Uh, Vestin runes? Excuse me. Vestin runes. There are Vestin runes. There is Seelie. There is Unseelie. There is Seerneth that Elliot is very keen to point out. Every dead language is written on these gigantic stone arches. And as you're reading and deciphering it, Elliot is also saying the same word over and over again. Uh, it says, look. I don't, I don't understand what that means. Captain, Jesse pulls the heart of matters. You see arches. You see the shape of them. Yes, the shape of them hasn't changed. You see horns. The mounds of dirt on either edge are not dirt. They are ears. Now a single ear is as big as all three of you combined. Uh, what? What do you see? Just, you just points. Uh, <laughs> large, large, very large, very old, Makara. Oh. Elliot, we've made a discovery for you. Oh, what, what, what is it? Because we have the heart of Makaro, and I, 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 I'm still trying to figure out my, my things, and, and there's tons of like Capricorns and stuff like that, and I just can't... Right, 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 okay. About, no, 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 Capricorns. Mm -hmm. He holds up the heart of matters in front of his eye. <gasps> and he takes his glasses off. That's a... Uh, oh, it makes sense now. You want to relay what makes sense, Elliot? That's... Makaro. Oh. Oh, that's... That's why the stone you said looks like a heart. Oh, it's the heart. I knew it. Oh. And that's why it's warm. Jesse puts it back in his pocket. Captain? Yep. About that divinity thing. Yep. You thinking what I'm thinking? I think we give it its heart back. Yeah. Is there anywhere that looks like this, the heart of Makaro would fit? Upon further exploration and searching there is in fact a perfectly placed notch hidden behind some moss and some vines some actual vines not snakes <laughs> and it's empty it's just an empty hole in the stones Wayman looks at the gem and looks back at Jesse it's your mother's mouth and he holds out the stone he takes it and walks over and he takes a second and looks at it and places it in the spot there is a breath a deep, deep inhale, almost as if the jungle itself is breathing for the first time. And very slowly, the horns start to move and the ears wiggle. And slowly, this large Makara comes out of the earth. It is enormous. And he leans all the way his nose twice the size of you he inhales and slowly exhales his ears wiggle again and a bunch of dirt and moss and stuff falls off Elliot is just staring black jawed he put his glasses back on, but they're slowly falling off of his nose as he's looking jaw wide open in awe and shock of what he is seeing. Bows his head. Jesse pulls his head off, waves with his mouth open. I take it you're um, 
Mikado. There is a slow nod of the head, and a bunch of moss and some small trees fall off his forehead as he does so. Oh my. Ha 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 ha. How was your rest? You hear in your head. That's good. Luciana comes out of your pocket, Jesse, and flies directly up to Makaro, right in front of his eye, so he doesn't have to turn his head. There is a nod between both of them, and you hear in your heads, He turns his head so he can get a good look at all three of you. His eye is very close. Eyelashes are bigger than you guys. They're very old, but they're gentle. Are they square? Yes, they are square. Oh, uh, I, I hate goat eyes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know too much. <laughs> <laughs> this one knows everything. <laughs> then leans back and says, Not Shinona. She is my mother. I am her son, Jesse. There's another feeling of understanding. And then as Makaro is just kind of shaking shoulders and you hear in your heads. She saved you. And his nose points down to his heart where you replaced the stone. You know that tiny stone that you had, even though it was the size of your chest, it was a big stone for you guys. There's no fucking way. It's the whole heart of this creature. But he gestures to it all the same. What would haunt you? There are plenty of people. Makaro says three letters. You're in the presence of ATC hunters. There is a deep nod of gratitude from Makaro. Not only do you see him do it, but you feel it. Well, you are free now. And you hear in your head. What favor do you ask from the heart of the sea? He looks to Wayland. Wayland gives him an encouraging nod. And then back up to Makaro. <clears throat> we are heading to the north of Fort Freedom. We need safe passage to find my mother. She's waiting for me. Hopefully. There's a momentary pause. That link is severed. You don't really feel anything anymore. You notice that Makaro seems to be thinking... An ear will twitch every once in a while, and a shoulder will move, or there'll be a really deep sigh. Eventually, you feel that link come back, and they lower their head. You have your heart? Yes. Pulls out the stone. Then let ours be one. Thank you, Makaro. Thank you. And they nod their head, and then move... Like the whole body. Makaro. There's a recognition of, yes. <laughs> if you see our colors, they mean friend. There's another nod of recognition. 
Wayland looks at Jesse and a huge smile breaks over his face. And he was sitting on his legs and he leans up and one giant hoof just and then another one and he steps backwards and you hear the whole jungle just moving behind him as he disappears into it almost as if nothing was there and Elliot is just am I dead? (laughs) (laughs) No Elliot you are very much alive and you just witnessed something magnificent I need a new thesis have this journal and starts going we are gonna fast forward to the ship now you guys actually didn't take any damage at all so this is the first time you're ever coming back to the ship without needing to be patched up and we're coming back to the ship without damage because the ship has been fixed the ship's fixed jory is in the water he cuddling with some makara holding a baby makara oh oh and like petting it and play splashing it and then it play splashes back (laughs) kieran is on the dock laughing and mama coco is feeding a very large makara with really big horns just right out of her hand just you know scratching his nose and things like that everybody appears to be having a blast because the ship's ready it's it's good to go the people who were working have shore leave now because there's no more work to do and you guys get back to the beach and you don't see those buccaneers anywhere. You definitely don't see Mad Maeve anywhere. Damn it, I didn't even get the... We even got the lantern. It's all right, we'll find something better. With what money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, it's well worth it. Are you kidding me? What we just did was worth any amount of gold that I could have paid. We're uh, admittedly cool, but... Ultimately, simple lantern. Hey, we survived. That's pretty good, right? And without a scratch, I think Klaus is going to be pretty happy. And hey, Captain. Hi. Genuinely proud of you for all of that. Because that sucked. Yeah, not great. You want to talk about it, or...? He shakes his head. All right. Maybe later. Right. Wayland, you feel a hand roughly pat you on the back. A shorter, very crotchety old woman is standing behind you. Oh, hello. Sorry about all of the um, trouble earlier. Keep the coin. She holds up the lantern, shoves it in your chest. How did... And then turns and walks away. But I... Okay. Got your lantern back. Got my lantern back. Now I just gotta find a way to light some fairy fire. Yeah. Well, maybe we save the questions for our... um, Mutual friend. Well, Captain, ship's looking pretty good. Roz is just finishing up putting the new sails. They're rolled, obviously, but they are up there and ready. <sighs> now that is a beautiful sight. Let's hope they work. Well done, Roz. Capitano, what do you think? They look good, Roz. Good job. Thank you. And he just gives you a quick salute as he's swinging by. How is the island looking? Doesn't look any worse for wear. Nobody seemed to have noticed anything. Earthquakes in the distance. No talks of like... Nope. Kieran's definitely not saying anything. Weird. It's just a normal day. You'd think that would have been... I don't know. Gods, I guess. I guess so. Set out in the morning, I suppose. 
The only two people that you do not see on the ship right now, or in the water, or out and about, Charles and Agnes. And obviously Ursa, because Ursa's down below. But even Beric is up here. Oh, that's not a great sign. Mama Coco around? Yep. He'll flag her down. She uh, pats the giant Makara on the head, and it shakes and, and snorts at her, and she snorts right back, and, and it goes in the water, and she brushes off her pants, because she was sitting down, and walks up to you guys. That is in. You know, Will, and it's real nice to see you not covered in blood this time. <laughs> I always say I do my best, and this time my best just happened to be enough. And you managed to keep your hat this time. Yes. A little battered, but it holds up nice and sturdy. As you say that, it is taken off your head because a Makara is eating it now. I, no! Willing <laughs> <laughs> goes chasing after the Makara. Jesse looks to Momokoko. Thanks for keeping an eye on the ship for me. Wasn't like it was going anywhere. Oh, uh, yeah. She looks great. She's ready to go when we are. Thinking we probably spend the night in port, even the morning. That sounds good. I think everyone deserves a nice night off. Good rest, right? Aye. I want to try my hand at maybe having uh, that handsome boy over there. And she points at Kieran. Teach me a thing or two on maybe riding this Makara. Agwe's got no riding skills on you, Mama Coco. Ha, ha, ha. And she slaps you on the shoulder a couple of times because that was actually funny. That was a good joke. I really liked that. That was hilarious. Kind of gives you a good shake and says, yeah, right? You good? Jesse's expression falls slightly. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. She gives you that typical mom look of like, all right, I'm not going to push. You're not fooling me. She shakes her shoulder another couple of times. I best get on it then, huh? We got, what, maybe 16, 20-something hours, yeah? That's enough time for me to learn, right? And she uh, walks away from you. Hey, Kieran, show me how to ride one of these things. Get it, Mama Coco. Waylon, you get your hat back, but... It's got a bite taken out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Monch. Damn it. I'm almost perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you enjoyed your snack. I suppose that's karma for something. Actually, I know exactly what that's karma for. That, and I'm going to just pat the Makara on the top of the head. That'll do. One, that'll do. Put the hat back on top of my head. Master Graywell. Hi, Captain. You are. Relieved until the morning. Aye. Have a good night, Willard. Don't want any company. I'll see you in the morning. You'll be fine. And then kind of just gives Jesse a once-over and knows that something's not quite right. All right. You need to talk about anything. You always know where to find me. Thanks. Claps him on the shoulder. Get out of here. Go get a drink. Aye, 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 aye. Good night, Willard. Good night, Captain. What time is it now? It's like dusk. Dusk, okay. Waylon's going to head back to the ship. And he's going to see if he can find Agnes. Okay. Agnes does not have a room. She does, however, have a hammock. And when you head to the berths, Agnes's is as far back 
against the bulkhead as possible. She has a little cubby that she has her stuff in. Right now, she is sitting in her hammock with her back facing the rest of the ship. She's facing the bulkhead right now. Uh, Agnes. You see in the dim, because it is sunset, the sun hasn't actually set yet, she lifts her head and turns it just slightly so you can see the profile of her face. Not that it would be an easy task, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to startle you. Ah, brought you something called the Heart of Makaro. It's actually quite good, and I'm not entirely sure how much of a sweet tooth you have, but I figured maybe you'd enjoy it. You come around the front to hand her the drink. She has in her hand a large flat mollusk shell. The top half. There's no bottom half. And she's rubbing her thumb in the grooves as you're coming around. And when you hand her the drink, she stops. She's still holding it in one hand and she takes the drink in the other. Sniffs it. Sniffs it again. Looks up at you with a raised red eyebrow. Takes a drink. There's no visible change on her face, but that raised eyebrow does come down and just relax. Then she looks up at you and shrugs slightly at you. So long as you don't hate it. Waylon's going to sit down. He's going to sit there for a moment, being in Agnes's company, before beginning to speak. Thank you for sharing everything you did with us this morning. I know that that must have been hard. And I know it can't have been easy sharing part of yourself that's very understandably, well... Vulnerable. <laughs> I've never said that I was the best orator of all time, so... But yes. As you're speaking to her, and the only reason you notice this is because you have eagle eyes, she is fiddling around with the shell in her hand a little bit more aggressively, and she hasn't actually sipped the drink again since the first sip. It's kind of sitting in her lap, and she looks at you with the typical Agnes face of stone, but her brows, instead of rising, furrow, and there's a crease in the middle of them, and she stares at you. Master Greywall? Yes, Miss Agnes. If I may speak freely, sir. Absolutely. And please, if I am crossing any lines... Speak freely and let me know. How much more trouble are you going to get us in? Hmm? I, how do you mean? I can feel things. And I know what you did. What you said. As she's talking, she's continuously rubbing her thumb against this shell until she winces because she's rubbing her thumb so raw. We deal in absolutes. There's no half measures. How many more do you have? Hmm? How many more words are you going to give before it's your last? The captain's last? Before it's my last? Waylon's expression is a bit odd. Because normally in a situation where he's being chastised, especially by another member of the crew, he's initially indignant before eventually backing down, 
humbling himself and continuing on with the conversation. His face is stern. Agnes, you're right. I made a calculated risk without knowing all of the variables, without consulting the people that I should have, and I made a mistake. And while I know that we got through it in the end on this particular case, I understand we're not always going to be as lucky. I will say to you now, I don't regret having Shade on board. I don't regret what we did here. However, what I did was foolhardy, brash, and stupid. And I will do my best not to let it happen again. I am sorry. Not just to you, but particularly to you. Agnes's face was very stern and her brow was very furrowed and rigid. And as you were talking, it loosens and softens. Agnes is only 17 at the most. She is 17. But she always looks a lot older than she is because of how stone her face is, how seriously she takes her job, her life, Everything is very no-nonsense, no-nothing. Her face looks youthful when she's looking at you now. She's holding up the shell, and she asks for your hand. I give it. She doesn't let go of the shell, but she hovers it over your palm. This is my life. Wayland. Hi. Do you see how easily it fits? How fragile it is, should you crush it? Should you drop it? She does that sigh laugh, and she withdraws the shell. I wanted to hide it, but I can no more change my nature than I can ask the waves to stop rising or the sun to stop shining. Captain said I was important, and that my name, the one that I hate, means a lot to him. So... If that's the case, then I'm going to have to live up to it. And that includes embracing this. She holds up the shell again. And I, she cuts herself off and her head lowers. You can feel the struggle for words, not just mentally, like how to continue the sentence, but physically she's having trouble articulating and orating what she's thinking. Agnes... I'm glad that you shared that, and he'll gesture to the shell. Not just because it was a sign of trust or vulnerability, whatever. I'm glad that you shared it because now we know how better to protect you. Not that you need it, but each one of us on this ship protects each other. We're a family. We don't give up on each other ever. That includes you. Captain says you're important, so do I. So does everyone else on this ship. I don't know you that well, Agnes. Been almost seven months now, and I think this is the first real conversation we've had. But that doesn't mean that I think of you any less as a member of this family. And I know and feel comfortable in speaking for the rest of the crew that that holds true for everyone. I know I fucked up. Thought you did. 
not the first time. Agnes just barely smiles. There's just a just a little tick at the corner of her lips. Won't be the last. I want to make sure I'm doing right by you and by everyone. If, for any reason, you take issue with any of my actions, Master of Arms, I give you full permission to speak freely and bring up your concerns to me. I just don't want you making promises you can't keep. I. Wayland breaks eye contact with Agnes, not in any sort of disrespectful way, but in a very self-reflective way, and just sort of stares off into the middle distance for a long second, then brings his eyes back. Understood. Thank you for your honest candor and the respect that you have shown me speaking to me as you have, chastisingly or otherwise. It is appreciated. Not like I could lie anyway. And she lifts up her mug at you. Clunk my coconut to hers. Takes a bigger sip. And the silence that was there before, that was gripping and palpable, is now a silence shared between crewmates, between friends. There is an understanding as she drinks her drink in peace and does not fidget with the shell in her lap. And I think for a while at least, Waylon keeps her company and just enjoys the silence together. As the camera is panning away from the gentle creaking of the ship, the footsteps above on the main deck. Just a quick aside. Jesse's in his quarters. He pops open the trunk at the base of his bed and he shifts some things around and finds a box, a smaller box. He undoes the hatch and opens that up and pulls out a single rolled piece of parchment, undoes the string and rolls it out just on top of what's in there. Has it changed? Hmm? The Charter of the White Rose. What exactly are you looking for? You know what I'm looking for. There are no spots on the Charter. And all of the signatures remain. He stares for a moment and sighs before rolling it back up and placing it within the box. We pan into Charles's quarters. This is the first time that we are seeing Charles's quarters. It is simple. There are not very many things in this room. The things that are, are heavily used on the daily for multiple hours a day when the bosun can spare them. There is a desk, and on that desk are carver's tools. Chisels, gouges, knives, all sorts of whittling accoutrement. Uh, there are also half-finished projects, a wooden handle, for a gun, perhaps. Another one for a knife. Another one for a sword. And there is a single lantern above that desk. And we see Charles at it with a rag in his hand as he is lovingly polishing something. There is a knock on the door. Charles lifts up from what he's doing. Come in. Jesse opens door. Jesse's coat is off. His effects are off. Good evening, Mr. Radford. Evening. May I come in? 
Oi. He steps in, pulls his hat off, and places it on a little hat post that sticks out just beside the door and closes the door behind him. As he is having a hard time placing his initial thoughts, and he paces for a moment. The sleeves of his shirt are rolled up, and his arms are covered in faded tattoos and scars and burns. Point of note, are you still wearing your gloves? He's wearing his right glove. Left glove is sitting in one of his pockets. Okay. Charles. So work to be done. I... It has taken the healing of my injury to come to my own senses. And I believe we need to talk. Charles was polishing whatever it is that he has in his hand. The rag in his hand has covered whatever it is he's holding. He was staring expectantly at you for a command or an order. He nods, turns around in his seat, sets it down on the desk with the rag still over it, sits forward in his stool with his elbows on his knees and his hands folded in front of him. That would do. Mr. Radford, you have permission to speak freely. I want you to tell me how you're feeling. How I have wronged you. I'm going to tell you a story. You might want to sit. Jesse turns and pulls aside another stool, takes a seat. He scratches the back of his head in a nervous tick. About, uh, like two or three years now, I was on a different ship, a different captain. And the work was good. Always had enough to take care of Charlotte. But the work was hard. Harder than the work we do here. You see, it was hunting vessel. We're in the Atabayan Sea, sir. Here there be monsters. Right big ones. Ones that could crush the ship as soon as look at you. I was on a vessel that hunted them relentlessly. Because monster parts are worth fine, fine coin. We had a charter. Rules in place to make sure that we were safe. Rule number one, we wouldn't go after anything the ship couldn't handle itself. But the captain went a little mad. He'd start going after things that we shouldn't rightly be going after. Crustaceans twice the size as a ship is wide. And not one, but a group of them. Turtles. Their shell. You could fit Aragosta in it. But he was greedy. The squid that attacked us was not after people. It was after what we were carrying. After the bait we had in the ship. Cracked it open like a fucking walnut. Sucked all the insides out. And I nearly died. What I saw the other day is much the same. In fact, it's unnerving how similar the two of them were. I can see the signs of madness. Now, granted, things being what they are and knowing what we know now, we have a clear picture, and I know it's out of my hands. But it brings me to my point, Jesse. And he leans forward a little bit more. I don't want to be on a ship where its captain doesn't even abide the rules. If I wanted that, I would have shed my blood on a charter that's already read. 
Now, as Charles was talking to you, he's visibly angry. When Charles is angry, his face is red. His hands are clutching together so tightly that he is white-knuckled and slightly shaking. I'm the bosun. Supposed to deal out punishment to those who break the rules or make the ship a dangerous place. You broke two of them. And by Theus, I want to deck you so hard you swallow your fucking teeth. Yes, he stands up. He does stand up and he gets in your face. You want to know why I'm not gonna? Because of Charlotte. Because she doesn't want me to be that man anymore. She doesn't want me to physically strike anyone out of anger because it doesn't help. What do you want, Charles? I want to provide for my little sister. I want to make sure that even if I die out here at sea in some terrible beastie's mouth or a bullet in my chest, that she's going to be fine. Is he still shaking? Very slightly. Charles, whatever you need to do, not whatever Charlotte needs you to do. He, open palm, slaps you, strikes you across the face. I think you can do better than that. No. No? Because I respect you too much. Hit me. I already did, sir. Again. That's an order. Pain might be a good teacher, Captain, but not in this instance. Charles. I already told you what I wanted to say. Do you want me to beat you bloody right here? Do you want me to make you swallow your teeth? Because I fucking will. He shoves you. Both hands up against your shoulders. Fuck, Captain! I don't want to hurt you, because I care about you, but you're a fucking idiot! As he gives that sigh laugh, and he drops his posture, if that is what you want. I've hurt a lot of people in my life. I've even killed some. I don't want to be the one to lead a mutiny against you. You understand? Hey, Charles... But if you push a man hard enough, if you shove him against a corner and he's got nowhere else to go but forward, sometimes that might mean through in order to protect what he cares about. I don't want to be in that position. I don't want you to put me or anyone else in that position, sir. You know what happened to my last crew? That's actually a very good question. Does he know what happened? Mama Coco knows because you told her in your captain's quarters when you blew up. I think the only thing that they know is that he lost his crew. He doesn't know how. I backed myself into a corner. A corner so far removed that even a rat would be impressed. I lost my whole crew to desperation due to my own mistakes. I know exactly what it feels like. I lost my entire crew to desertion. It would have been a mutiny if they had not gone crazy themselves. Stuck in open waters for two weeks, with no wind. There's a furrowing of his brow, and then a look of recognition as something dawns on him. Captain, sorry. Charles, once you have lived through desperation once, you cannot bear to live through it again. On that we can agree. Pirate is not meant to be desperate. It's not in a nature begging your pardon, sir, but no human is. Despite the fact I was not entirely right in my mind, I'll be honest, I don't even remember much. I just had the feeling of desperation. I didn't want to see anything happen to her. 
I misinterpreted the situation entirely. I thought I could take what she would have, and I was going to. I know what I did wrong. I have made a mistake. I have failed you, and the crew, twice. You do not wish to be part of a crew of a captain who cannot follow his own charter. Then I would not be upset for you to make the decision to leave. He looks over on his wall, where a handwritten version of the charter in his handwriting hangs, and then looks back over at you. I don't know about you, Captain, but I don't see any black spots on there. Everything's right as rain, according to those rules. And lucky for me, he turns around back to his desk, picks up whatever it was that he was working on, and slowly walks back over to you. I'm part of a family. And he hands you a blade. The hilt of it is a carved white hummingbird. The wing is the butt of the blade. The beak is about a six-inch stiletto, so it's very thin. He hands it to you, hilt first. He grasps it. It fits perfectly in your hand, almost like it was made for it. It's very light. The wood is probably some kind of holly or maple. And he takes the rag and tucks it in his belt. And as long as you remember that, then I'll stick around until my bones sink in the ocean, hmm? He nods. I'm with you till the end, sir. Thank you, Charles. You're welcome, Captain. Jesse turns, pushes the stool back to where it was, and grabs his hat and opens the door. I need you to know something. There is no punishment you can give me that I have not given myself. Then you best start learning how to forgive. And for the record, forgive you for being an idiot. He doesn't look at Charles. Good night. Night, sir. Closes the door. Jesse climbs up to the crow's nest and sets the heart of matters on the railing. Sits down with his arms over the railing and looks out on the ocean. And then at some point, if the clouds move out of the way of the moon, he'll lean over and take a peek through it just to see what he can see. There are stars, and there's the moon, and they look a little bit more vibrant through the stone, almost as if slightly amplified. And there's the sea, which is reflecting the moon. That also seems amplified. And while you can pick out the waves and the seagulls, you do see a few things that you know are too unbelievable to really believe but you know that the heart of matter shows you the truth. So there are things out there, swimming, living, being, existing without real care of what's going on. He puts it back in his pocket, just looks out the darkness of the water and how it shifts and moves and rolls. As the camera is on Jesse and as he's looking out through the horizon, it cuts from his perspective through his eye and then just zooms out at Makaro and then it just keeps zooming out into the dark blue of the sea. And that's the end of the arc. Not the end of the story, certainly not. No, no, no. It's going to be split up in a few arcs. This first major arc the first step in Jesse finding a way back to his mother. Before we hit the next arc, 
I realize I have done all of you a disservice. While I have extensive knowledge on the lore and the background of the setting and the stories, the legends of the Seventh Sea, I realize that the listeners are missing some of this crucial information. So I'm going to remedy that. If you're still a little bit lost concerning the story, please join me in Volume 5 of Notes with the Narrator called Crucial Lore. There will be several installments of this, several chapters, but this first one will outline a little bit more of the Atabayan Sea, Aragosta, some important figures, and some dark legends, so that everyone is on the same page, so to speak. <laughs> I look forward to telling you more stories about this game that we love. Until then, dear friends, be safe and well.